This episode of Positive Space is brought to you by Chartpack, parent company of 14 art supply brands including Grumbacher, Molotow Markers, Higgins, and Cullinore Drawing Supplies. Pens, pencils, paints, and paper? Chartpack has it. Check out Chartpack and their brands at chartpack.net. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Welcome to Positive Space. Today joining us, we have Amy Rydell joining us via Skype. She is a part-time faculty at St. Louis Community College and St. Louis University, and she was one of our shout-out award winners for 2017. So welcome, Amy. Thank you, Valerie. I'm honored to be here with you. Oh, thanks for making time to to chat with us. I'm excited that, that we're going to get to sort of hear from you and learn a little bit more about your artwork. You know, you teach at two different universities. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the kind of classes that you typically teach and maybe just a little intro into the kind of work that you make? Sure. My pleasure. I have been back in St. Louis, which is my hometown since 2010. And ever since then, I've been teaching for St. Louis Community College, the Merrimack campus, which is actually alma mater. So it's kind of sentimental for me to be there. And I also teach, like you said, at St. Louis University, though there I teach for their School for Professional Studies, which is more of an adult degree seeking program. And Mm. typically I teach online courses and also face-to-face courses of art appreciation. There it's known as Approaching the Arts and then also a modern art history course. And that's been really rewarding because my student demographic is, it's not a traditional student. So a lot of these people are over the age of 30, 40, and 50. They've had a career, um, a different career trajectory in their lives, and and they're going back to school. And then at St. Louis Community College, I have been teaching all levels of drawing, drawing one through advanced drawing. Um, The entire time I have been teaching there, seven years now. And most frequently, I teach drawing three and advanced drawing. Oh, great. That's, that's a nice wide spectrum of classes. That's, that's really exciting. It is. It keeps me really engaged. And, um, you know, even when times get tough near the end of the <laughs> semester, uh, there's almost always some enriching thing that, that happens with my students because I am teaching, you know, pretty, pretty different courses. Sure. And, and you had an experience to attend the FATE conference back in April. And I know that wasn't your first time to attend, but, but you were able to attend as a shout out award winner. Um, so you're nominated for being wonderful and phenomenal in what you're doing um, above and beyond. And, you know, so I'm curious what kinds of, of things stood out or what, you know, aspects of the conference, whether it was conversations or presentations, do you think, you know, you might want to implement in future classes? Sure. Well, it was such a great award to be able to go to the Fate Conference as a shout award winner. There was absolutely no other way I was going to get there this year. So 
I really appreciate um, Professor Kimberly Winkle for nominating me and then the FATE organization for um, sending me there. And like you said, it was not my first FATE conference. It was my third, mm-hmm. which, you know, kind of feels like a reunion after you've been to a few of them, which is nice. <laughs> I really like that about it, reconnecting with people. And mo- most people have kind of moved all over the country in the time span since I've seen them. And, I, and I've stayed right here in St. Louis. So that, that's been interesting to experience. Uh, <laughs> Just fine, but you know, we're all leading different lives. I saw quite a few sessions that I took some inspiration from, and of course, we're all artists, so I had healthy critique of of the whole experience as well. (laughs) (laughs) But some things that stick out, well, professionally, I really, I I really liked the professional practices session, which was led by my friend Kimberly Winkle. But, that, but I would have liked it anyway. Teaching a drawing three course, Kim just really has, or that's what I'm, I teach, a drawing three and advanced drawing course. So the idea of professional practices is inching its way, you know, into a semester, my students towards the end, uh, how do I get an internship? How do I get gallery shows? Mm-hmm. And um, so hearing Kim's uh, system of dealing with that at Tennessee Tech University was like, amazing she's got it on lockdown there (laughs) it's just um so thoughtful so engaged reaching out to other university departments to teach these students you know business tactics which i'm sure we've all heard the thing that getting an mfa is a lot like getting your your mba so Mm -hmm. um, at the undergraduate level to learn about ways of implementing those professional practices that was really great to hear Let's see. There were also most of my interest at the conference and in life and teaching right now has to do with social justice issues. Not that I'm well-versed in all of this, but I want to be teaching at the college level for over 10 years and watching my, my demographics at the various schools I teach at. And then the, the racial discord that exists here in St. Louis and a lot of other places I, I am I'm looking for ways of being even more sensitive to things I've spent so much of my life being unaware of. So I went to a lot of sessions where professors were kind of talking about that, like discussing controversy as part of the art curriculum or uh, more social practice um, projects in the classroom. So that, that's where a lot of my interests lie at FATE this year. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear that. And, and it seems like your own art practice also kind of overlaps with those sorts of conversations, right? It does a little. I, I wanted to, you know, when I got, when I became more aware of social issues that exist in my hometown, you know, as a white woman, I was painfully unaware for way too long. Um, I really wanted my artwork to be my activism, but I quickly learned that that was not the right route for me. Um, and so I, I helped start a magazine that deals with um, visual art coverage in the St. Louis area because we were losing all of our arts writers. Um, shows and exhibits were going up and coming down, never to be you know written about or recorded. And also things are segregated here in all kinds of different ways. And one of those ways is the different arts communities. You know, there's a self-trained art community. There's the Washington University you know, almost Ivy League art community. And we wanted to start our magazine and 
we distribute 10,000 copies and we get them in all zip codes as a way to sort of bridge the gaps that exist mm-hmm. in these groups to sort of invite all neighborhoods in our area to go see art, to comment on art. We accept reviews and commentary from anybody, even people that don't identify as arts writers. So that became really important mission to me. That is separate from my studio practice. It has wormed its way into my teaching quite a bit. I have had students that have showed great interest and they've ended up writing a commentary or review for the magazine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I mean, I think one one thing that, that I have been thinking about a lot in the classroom is just, you know, how do you have conversations about things that are sort of hard or things that might be viewed as uncomfortable for some of your students or even for some of your colleagues? And I'm just, I'm curious with, with the kind of place where you are and the kind of experience that you have, I mean, do you have any, any tips for sort of how to begin once you're sort of aware of all these kinds of people and all these kinds of power dynamics that are, that are happening, how do you, how do you begin that kind of conversation? Well, I'm certainly no pro at it. I am learning <laughs> on the fly all the time and screwing up regularly. I wish that, that it wasn't me having these conversations with my students, that my students weren't getting, you know, the perspective of another white woman when it comes to Mm. issues of racial disparity in the art university or in our city. I wish that my students were hearing from more people of color about these things than me. But anyway, I do feel it is my duty. I am the one that is their teacher to at least introduce them to artworks being made by um, people other than the, the old you know, white male modernists. Right, right. It's what we're all, you know, we're all first indoctrinated with that kind of history. And I understand its importance. I understand the canon. But I do work pretty hard to open things up to more contemporary art history lessons with my students, more things, you know, outside of the Western art history idea of how things are. Mm -hmm. I, I start there. And then the tough conversations... I do, I I would like to start them a little earlier, but we all know how like classes like drawing one are, and there's, there's really kind of only time for line, shape, value, perspective, Uh, (laughs) you know, those very foundational tools that are so important. But once they get into drawing three and advanced drawing, and of course my art history classes, we do have these tough conversations and they have not all gone well or comfortably I walk into some of them quite honestly thinking, well, (laughs) I'm part-time. I don't make that much money anyway. So if I get fired (laughs) (laughs) and I'll figure things out. And at least I felt strongly about my mission because um, I am, I do identify it as more progressive than some of my students and I don't hide it. I do try my very best to introduce a topic and let them carry the conversation. And if things go in an uncomfortable territory I'll ask questions to redirect instead of making big broad statements of my own or I try to do that anyway um, and usually it, it ends up okay it usually ends up they I've had a lot of students walk out of the classroom and say thank you know thanks for that I've been I didn't know about this I wanted to know about this I don't know how to talk about it and just kind of giving them a safe space in an art school I feel like is is very important. 
absolutely. That's 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 wonderful. Well, and are are there projects, or do you have them? You know, perhaps in your art history courses, do you have them write about those kinds of ideas, or or is it something that you kind of discuss and and sort of move move on to, to something else? Um, it is the bulk of my writing assignments in in my approaching the arts or history of modern art course. We will. We use a textbook. We use a standard traditional textbook, which a lot of those are, as we all know, being rewritten. Right. And they're, in, you know, they're doing their very best to include perspectives other than, you know, traditional Western art history perspective. But um, we do, you know, we read about, we still read about Picasso and we still, we still read about Jackson Pollock. But then the writing assignments and the discussion boards, I do, I veer off and um, try to find a contemporary you know, that was working at the same time that that maybe is a um, female identified artist or an artist of color, just so that they become a little more knowledgeable about about those names or the kind of subcategory, unfortunately, subcategories that were happening. Mm -hmm. In your more advanced drawing classes, do you do you find that they are wanting to talk about things that are happening in the news or current events, that that's something that's on their minds? It is, and it doesn't make it into their artwork all the time. I do have an option for um, a socio-political artwork, and at the same time, or they could do a project about imagined or real interior-exterior space, so that mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not forcing students like during the time of creating this project, I'm not forcing students to comment on things they're not ready to comment on. So they can take the option of dealing, you know, dealing with space and perspective. Or if they're ready to jump in, they can jump in. And we have the critique on the same day. And then often right after that, my students start diving into their final body of work. And that's where they get six to eight weeks in drawing three and advanced drawing to develop a body of work of their own, their own will, try to teach them to understand like what it is they want to say real heavy on the critiques, um, that kind of thing. So that they leave the class with a series that they could use to apply to a four-year university or whatever, or a job. Mm -hmm. And many of them, you know, when they, if they choose to do that social or political artwork, that final body of work is almost always inspired by that project. Oh, wow. So it kind of gets them thinking about something in a new way that they want to sort of continue exploring. Mm-hmm. And during the critique of that project, you know, we can dip their toe into having those conversations and being aware of what it, you know, how this artwork is actually coming across opposed to what their intention might have been. We sure. also, we read um, the book, But Is It Art? Oh. Which is older now. I don't know if that's still on everyone's radar, but I find it very easy to read Drawing three and advanced drawing at the community college is still only a a sophomore level class, really. So having a kind of easy to follow, easy to read book about art histories and art theories, I think is good for them. And there's chapter five in that book, which is about um, the feminist art movement that we we labor over that. And then we relate it to, you know, maybe other art movements as well. Oh, nice. Well, and you mentioned that you've been teaching, you know, for over 10 years. And so, I mean, is, is this something, 
is this sort of project and this kind of approach something that you've been doing this entire time, or is it something that you've sort of adjusted and adapted, you know, more more recently? Um, it's something I've adapted more recently, I'd say. I was, I have been teaching for 10 years. Part of that, though, was still as a graduate assistant at UT Knoxville, where I went. And so for a little while, outside of graduate school, I, I was not concerned too much with incorporating real life issues or, or social issues or making sure that all my students left my class knowing what an, a feminist art movement was. I, right. wasn't, I wasn't as concerned a few years ago, but I'd say for the past five or six years, it's become a priority. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, with so many of us, and it seems like some of the conversations I had at, at the conference back in April were centered around that, you know, how do we adjust to our new students, you know, that, that, that we're having and how do we be open and create safe spaces where they feel like they can talk about things and we feel like we can talk about things and and not have there be this like classroom world and then this real life that we don't ever really engage in or discuss or acknowledge even. Right. I think that is just so important. And like I said, I'm at a community college, so I have, you know, commuter students. I have students that have families and are working two other jobs so it is not beneficial for me to pretend like that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're not going to read Foucault right now. We're not, right. you know, I'm not saying those things aren't important, aren't important. And that idea of very rigorous academia doesn't have a place. It certainly does. It is frankly not useful to my students right now. And so I am trying to, as I grow up and learn, be more receptive to that and make them aware of things. But we spend the bulk of our time and our labor on issues that are relevant to our community, um, to their lives, uh, so that they can keep doing this. I feel like if I don't pay attention to that, I'm, I'm going to push them away. I'm going to lose the chance I have with them, you know, to turn them into citizens that vote for a higher budget for the arts or whatever it is. Like, mm-hmm. got to make it relevant to them. Sure, and important and sort of urgent in a way. You mentioned sort of, I think you were sort of joking a little bit about how you were nervous that you might get fired or, you know, things might sort of blow off. In in seriousness, have you felt supported in, in sort of this approach in, in the classroom? I have, yes. My, the chair, the chair of both of my departments at St. Louis Community College and St. Louis University, Tim Linder and, and Jenny Agnew, and then the fine arts coordinator at, at St. Louis Community College, Betsy Morris. We're all we're, we're learning about these things all together, and everyone is is open to you know remaining professional. But everyone seems to know things need to change. We can't. We kind of can't go on like this with these dynamics, um, or any sort of like elite pretend elitist structure, or that college and art is only for certain people. So everyone's on board with that as far as I can tell. Oh, that's, that's really, really wonderful. I mean, would, would you have any advice for maybe someone who didn't feel like they were supported or, or were, were not sure about how to begin these kinds of conversations maybe with, with their colleagues? Oh my gosh. Well, I am so sorry. I have been in that situation before I have to say, and it's kind of an unrelated issue. Um, I have felt that and I've been there. And 
gosh. It's, it's hard because I mean, I, I think I've, I've talked to friends where, where that's happening mm-hmm. and I don't think it's necessarily uncommon and maybe it's just uh, an uncertainty of how to bring something up, you know, and, and that can be about any kind of change with, with any kind of program. I think sometimes there's a timidness about having those kind of conversations like, Hey, what if we tweak this? Or what if we did a project about this? Or what if we adjusted that? Um, I think just those kinds of things can in certain, in certain groups be tricky, you know? I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Plenty of people don't want to rock the boat. I understand that. And I certainly wouldn't suggest someone give up their job or their health benefits in order to rock a boat. But then there's a whole big part of me that wants to say, just do it. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I feel, first things first, we have an obligation to our students, and that obligation comes with exposing them to things that might be uncomfortable, and I think it's necessary for their growth, I think it's necessary for our growth, and I feel that, you know, deans or departments that aren't on board with that maybe need to check out their, their mission statement again. How about that? I'll leave that there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you, you know, you, you talked about, I mean, I, I, I can absolutely relate, you know, when, when I was an adjunct, um, which was, which felt like a million years that I I did that life. Um, it was so hard and I was so overstretched and I, you know, was teaching at this campus and that campus and online and was terrified to say no to any opportunity because, um, I was nervous. It might be my last chance, you know? And I think sometimes that panic is is hard to remove you know sometimes but I'm I'm just curious like in terms of your your tips for fellow part-timers in terms of you know how to how to handle these kinds of juggling acts you know because I don't know if there's ever like a perfect balance and perfect harmony with anything um but what I guess what what are your thoughts on that Well, I have thought a lot about it, and I was the same way. I never said no. Let's say six or seven years ago when I first got back into town. And by the way, I gave up a full-time painting professorship in Tennessee to move home to St. Louis and become an adjunct. So I did things just ass backwards, pardon my (laughs) language, which is always, when I'm at the fate conference, people's jaws always drop when I (laughs) tell them that story. But anyway... Um, so I've been juggling these different campuses and these different varieties of teaching for a long time. You know, I am not an art historian. I'm a trained painter and, and drawer. And the first time someone offered me an intro art history class, I jumped on it and said yes, but I was terrified. And I had to relearn everything, you know, before the semester started. So I would say that, um, you know, staying just one step ahead when you need to is okay. You can forgive yourselves for that. Um, also, after you get uh, a few classes, I think it's okay to start saying no, even though it feels like you're missing an opportunity and that you might starve the next semester. Mm-hmm. I think, um, balance is good. And if you are teaching so much and spread so thin, you have no time in your studio, that that's... Um, that that's really tough and that that's a problem. I also am not going to pretend like I'm doing this all on my own. I have a partner who has one of those regular nine to five type jobs. <laughs> um, I've been lucky enough the past few years to, um, to say no to a class here and there and still be able to pay my student loan bill and my 
you know, my health insurance through the Affordable Care Act. So I just don't want to pretend like I, I'm, I'm in this nice little two-bedroom house all alone paying all these bills with my few adjuncting jobs. I'm not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I guess the thing about, I, I'll talk about what's really great about the adjunct thing, and that is um, being able to focus on the students. I don't go to department meetings. I'm invited, but I don't have to go. I am not involved in the tricky dynamics that happen among colleagues at uh, uh, my department. And I believe that does free up some brain space that allows me to make friends with my, my fellow professors and come home and work in my studio and apply for a grant or a fellowship or a gallery opportunity that maybe um, it just keeps providing hope. It's like you're always chasing after this this little bit of hope. And I feel like being an adjunct has allowed me to do that. So I'm grateful. It's good enough. That, that's so that's so encouraging to hear because I, I know when when I was an adjunct, all the questions I got was, you know, they were like focused around, well, you know, it won't last forever, and you know, one day you'll get this great job. And I'm like, well, I have a couple of really great jobs right now. You know, <laughs> like it isn't awful. I mean, you know, um, and I, I, I that that just stood out to me, and I thought, you know, if if I'm ever in a different position and I'm ever in a situation where I have a full-time job, I hope I don't speak in that manner, you know, like, Oh, you know, Oh no, because that, that can just feel really awful sometimes. Right. You know? And of course, I mean, like everyone's definition of success, I guess is a little different, but we're all in the same field. I'm pretty sure we're on the same page. (laughs) Right. Right. Ideas of success. You know, I had a, like I said, I had that full-time position in Tennessee at, at a great little university and I had healthcare paid for and some retirement and, um, wasn't right. My life was kind of empty. I was away from my family. I was spent a year away from my husband and I was at a, a pretty conservative location that was not a good fit for me and my, like my insides. So I was on mm-hmm came back and and I told people that my life became very full and it's a, it's very difficult for people to understand you know if I told you what I made you I, I think a lot of people would be, be sad <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm grateful for every little bit I have don't get me wrong but it is it's not a, a living wage but although I guess it is I'm living anyway so <laughs> I I think it's just as important that I have love in my life and that I have a support system that I trust, which I think has allowed me to grow in another way. You know, a full-time gig, of course, would allow me to grow in some ways as well, but it wasn't a right fit for for me at the time. But that does bring me back around to the conference, and I wanted to tell you about a panel I was really grateful for, and that one was um, called In the Family by, uh, let's see, Diana Bombach and Shelby Shadwell were the uh, leaders of that panel. And it was all, all about the stuff that um, we kind of shy away from discussing at those professional conferences. So, you know, I feel like our first introductions are, you know, where are you teaching? What do you teach? And rightly so, we're at a, we're at a foundation art theory and education conference. You know, as the years have gone on and... Um, and things kind of, people get a little more comfortable at breakfast and lunch and dinner. Right. 
you get to the goods, you know, you hear about marriages and you hear about divorce and you hear about long distance relationships or you hear about sick parents. And uh, I think it's important that we don't ignore that and how it affects our academic careers and our artistic careers. And this panel in the family um, was kind of all about that stuff. And I was really grateful to hear it. Oh, wow. Well, that, that, I mean, ties in so wonderfully to our conversation right now. I mean, I think how you view and value your life is, is not defined by what your title is or what the tag is on the bottom of your email from work or whatever, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's so much, it's all that life stuff that definitely impacts and how, how could it not, you know, our, our real whole life. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, I always, I, I connect more with people at fate when we don't pretend like that's not true. <laughs> right. That, that, yeah. You know, I have this thing happening or I'm in this relationship or I'm doing this or this is what my family life is like. Yeah. It's like you sort of take off the mask, you know, I mean, not that we're pretending in any way, but, but that it becomes like, these are things that aren't on my CV. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, uh, like I said, the, the professional aspect of the Fate Conference, of course, I mean, the, there's something that brought us all there together. I understand that completely. Um, but since we are all there, hey, why don't we just talk about this? <laughs> why don't we talk about this real life stuff, too, and how it affects our art practices or our, our you know, our studio courses or the fact that I'm adjunct and I'm not assistant or associate professor, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or that I, I can't sleep at night, you know, or, or like whatever it is. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's easy to sort of put things in categories and sort of say, well, I'm just going to talk about drawing with these people at, at breakfast over, yeah. you know, eggs or something, which is important and valuable and wonderful. But, okay. but yeah, but I, I, I agree. I, I found that the, um, the conversations that really stick with me and the friendships that I, I really, really value are the ones that go beyond the CV and the sort of, you know, things that are sort of easy to talk about. And I think that because we're all professors, we can all sort of talk about those sorts of things with varying success, you know, but, but yeah, but it's like, what's it really like to be you, you know, and how, how is that impacting you and your life and your students? I mean, that, that's sort of the heart of it. I totally agree. And while we're in these different cities together at these hotels, you know, I, I think it's important, you know, it's like a retreat or something. So I think we should be talking about those things. Why not? Well, yeah, and, and, and we're all choosing to leave our life, you know, to go to Kansas City or, or St. Louis or, you know, Savannah or whatever. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's definitely, I mean, it's it's a time that I, I'm probably more reflective than I am normally, you know, when I'm at my house or walking my dog or whatever, just because I'm, I'm sort of away from those things. Right. Absolutely. Man, and I, I can't help but just mention that you were like the first person I met at Fate like a thousand years ago. <laughs> I remember, we were at the Drury Inn, weren't we? Were yes, we were, yes. Yeah. You guys were like, I think maybe sitting in a lounge or somewhere, yeah. and um, I didn't know anyone. I literally went to Fate 
because my my chair at the time encouraged me to go. I was part-time and it was fully funded for me to go. So I was so excited, but so timid and didn't know a soul in the universe. And you were so kind to talk to me. <laughs> oh, you were great. You were so bubbly, came right over. Sure we were taking advantage of that like free happy hour. That the I think had. that's definitely, <laughs> that, that definitely happened. <laughs> oh, yep. That's wild. That's just so wild. And I mean, you're in the same place and I'm in the same place too. I mean, I, I'm still at Sam Houston, you know, so. That's right. I'm so glad for you. It's working out good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very nice. It's very nice. You know, I think in thinking about these kind of real life scenarios and, and those kinds of things, I mean, how, how do you feel like you bring that into your classroom, you know, in terms of thinking about, you know, you being an artist and you starting these wonderful, you know, like magazines and, and those kinds of things. You mentioned a little bit that one of your students submitted something uh, for that, but do you, do you do any projects with them where they do like zines or they do like murals or they're encouraged to kind of go engage with the community in a specific way? No, I do not. I should. <laughs> I should really. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not s- suggesting that, that you should. <laughs> I think it's a great suggestion. No, I really should. You know, it's really tough to, I don't want to say it's tough to just get them to class. I don't mean that. I work with wonderful students. But you can see, and I hear a lot, that it, it actually is kind of tough for them to get to class a lot because of those jobs or their commute or their life. So I am always... I, I am trying. I am not going to make things easy for my students. However, I am open to accommodating what I uh, perceive as what they need. And sometimes a f- simple field trip is a real pain in the butt to orchestrate. Sure, I mean that's real. Absolutely. Yeah, we did have a show last year. There's a, a town nearby called Granite City, Illinois, and it was a booming steel town until the industry went under and then it became kind of a ghost town and there are some people here from st louis galen gondolfi who started fort gondo compound for the arts he has started the granite city arts and design district and is basically turning like an entire city block over there into art and design venues and it's pretty wonderful because it's not it's not a case of gentrification. They were literally there's no one else there. There's no one being pushed out or anything like that that I know of. Um, it was abandoned like a ghost town, and so um, they're rehabbing these spaces. Anyway, they were awesome enough to let me just use one of the galleries last year for my drawing three and advanced drawing class. Oh, so that was really great for my students to leave the suburb of St. Louis and go across the river to Illinois to this very interesting town and erect an art show. So they had their families come and they brought food and drinks and it was really special. But that's the most recent thing I've done to sort of get us out of the classroom into a community other than the, the suburban St. Louis community that they're very used to. But I would, I would like to do more of that if possible. It's just... Um, that is tough. They're, they're not coming from, you know, they're not, they don't live on campus, things like that. Sure. Sure. No. And, and I think those kinds of projects are valuable, but I, I don't think they're the only ways to talk about what's happening off campus. You know, I mean, I, I think you can definitely, and, and it sounds like in, in your practice and in what you're doing as an artist, you're, 
engaging the community. And so I, I would imagine that you you talk to them about that and sort of are modeling that in terms of the possibilities of, you know, being a human in the world, making art, you know, and having, having a dialogue with an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of my artwork, my studio artwork is, is it derives from autobiography and personal narrative. So, um, you know, started with dealing with, I use a lot of weather radar, imagery and that be, that was a metaphor for dealing with anxiety and depression and, and even more minimal things like homesickness and then as I've grown up and I've encountered the term more serious is a little insulting but I'll say more serious issues like you know my mom had cancer and two of my aunts also had cancer and this all happened in a two-year span and of course my work reflected all of that I can't help it And I'm open with my students about that, that my artwork, which appears really colorful and sparkly and abstract at face value, you know, is actually about my whole world imploding and very serious medical issues and death in my family. When I give them my, my brief version of my artist talk, which I do every semester to my advanced class, they become more aware and they... I believe and I hope that they take some of that and apply it to their own work and that their story is enough. Their story is enough and we can find a way to communicate their story in a way that reaches out to other people and helps communicate to other people, which I think is very important. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I have just really enjoyed you sharing your story with us and, and just really appreciate all that you're doing and the ways in which that you're reaching out and, and being reflective and thinking about how, how you can serve your students in the classroom. It's really, really exciting. Well, thank you, Valerie. I feel the same about you. Thank you so much for having uh, me. Thank you. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks again. And <laughs> I'm ending this in a really uncomfortable way. We should probably edit this. <laughs> I'm like, bye. Talk to you later. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> Check you later. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping Raymond can can save me with that ending. But yes, thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. Are we going to hang up for real now? Um, yes, we can. Okay. We can hang up. We can hang up for real. <laughs> okay. Have a wonderful summer. Stay in touch. Thank you. You too. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.